party people, this is me, myself, and Millie, a podcast about pop culture and hot goss through the lens of your nosy neighbor. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, and thanks for tuning in today. Um, just to recap, if you're this is the first time you are joining us, this season we are getting real and raw with our topics, meaning all the episodes this season will cover the theme of infertility. Why? Well, because it is unfortunately something I'm currently struggling with, and it's honestly a subject that rarely gets discussed in a public forum. So, keeping with the theme of infertility, today we are going to talk about acupuncture and how it can help you and your own fertility journey. There are a lot of mixed feelings and reports and data out there about whether or not acupuncture is actually helpful when trying to conceive. So I wanted to bring on an expert today, my own acupuncturist, Rachel Hemphill of City Pulse Acupuncture in Oakland, California. She is on and she's going to chit chat with us about what she does, why she does it, and the possible benefits of um, incorporating it into, you know, your TTC journey. Um, A little bit of backstory. I started seeing Rachel four months ago when I started doing fertility treatments. And even though I haven't gotten pregnant yet, I do feel like I am benefiting from seeing her um, on a weekly basis and having a expert in Eastern medicine slash Chinese medicine to help me on my journey. So we will be talking to Rachel today. But before we get to that interview, a friendly reminder that in two weeks, I will be doing a book review of Waiting for Daisy by Peggy Ornstein. So if you want to read along with the pod and be on the up and up with that conversation, grab a copy of Waiting for Daisy today. Another announcement is thank you to everyone who has written a review on Apple Podcasts. We are at 35 reviews so far, and I'm making it an internal goal for myself to try to get to 50 reviews by June 15th. So hop on Apple Podcasts and give me, myself, and Millie a five-star review and write a small note saying how much you love the podcast. Your words carry so, so, so much weight, and it really helps the livelihood of the show. So yay! One, two, three, go do it! All righty. Oh, Rachel, it's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So let's get into it. How did you get into practicing Chinese medicine and how long have you been doing it for? Yeah, great. So I, you know, it's something that is just honestly, I feel like has always been a part of me. So my mom is Chinese and my grandparents are from China. And just growing up, it was 
always these small things like my grandmother making these soups that were seasonal for various ailments or for boosting immunity or my grandpa having these stinky um, back patches for pain and this, you know, this cough syrup. And so I've always been interested in acupuncture and Chinese medicine. You know, I found out when I was a kid that I had a great aunt in China that was actually an acupuncture anesthesiologist. And wow. Yeah. Yeah. And in the seventies, my mom, when she was in nursing school, she actually was able to go over with my grandmother. It was one of these things where it was like the United States was like, okay, you have a visa, but you have to go tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they just immediately got on the plane and left. And my mom actually was given all of these books and charts on acupuncture And we had those in the house. And I've just always been so intrigued by acupuncture, Chinese medicine, food is medicine, um, and so many of the little quirks that I never understood growing up why we were doing that. Um, And now I understand why. That's so cool. Tell me about what what exactly is entailed in being an, an acupuncturist anesthesiologist. You know, I actually don't really know that process. I think in China, it was very wide used for, Mm -hmm. you know, people that had adverse reactions to anesthesia. You know, I have had a few colleagues as time has gone on that told me that they actually, their first jobs as acupuncturists was um, working in a dental office doing acupuncture anesthesia for, you know, cavities when people couldn't have, I guess... Novocaine? I'm not really sure, but I actually don't, we're not really trained in school to do that. So it must be, you know, an additional training that people are doing. And Mm -hmm. I actually wouldn't know how to do that at all for anybody if they asked me. (laughs) Okay. So nobody come to Rachel asking her for, for dental (laughs) acupuncture. Exactly. Nobody come in and be like, Hey, can you help me? Can you help numb my body for heart surgery? Oh my gosh. Okay. So, well, what specifically drew you to wanting to focus on fertility acupuncture? So I feel like it's something that honestly chose me. Um, I moved back from New York to California to go to acupuncture school. I just heard that the schools here were the best. Um, and so I just took the opportunity to come out here And then when I moved out here, I was hearing all of these stories about this woman in San Francisco who was the authority on acupuncture for infertility. And she had this booming practice in the city. And I was like, you know, I wonder if I just like cold called her and asked her if I could intern, if she would take me. And so I never spoke to her. I spoke to the office manager and I interned for her. And I was basically just doing things like cleaning, dusting the shelves. And I was just like, oh, maybe I can, you know, also read some charts on the break and just see what's going on here. And that's basically what I did for a couple of years. And I never, ever had the chance to speak to her. She was just too busy. She had like seven treatment rooms, seven patients an hour. And she had this large staff of just interns, other acupuncturists that would take out her needles, fill her herbs. It was literally just like a nonstop factory. And it got tiring after a while. And I was like, you know what? I'm quitting. And so I left. And probably a month later, I got a call on my cell phone and it was her. And she was just like, hey, I really miss you in the office. Um, What's it going to take to get you to come back here? Because I really see you working for me in the future. 
And so I was very floored by that. I went back and um, when I passed my boards, she actually hired me and she basically taught me everything she knew. And it was amazing because she actually would attract patients from around the world where a couple was coming in from Saudi Arabia to get herbs every month and then going back. And then patients no. the, yeah, Whoa. it was insane. She was insanely talented. And she and was in San Francisco. She was in San Francisco. She had this booming practice and she would get these difficult cases that were actually rejects from IVF clinics. They actually, you know, clinics would say, Hey, we can't help you. You're not a candidate for IVF. And they would have babies with her treatment. It was amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so you sort of like, you trained under her yes, for a while. For, yes. For five years, actually in depth, you know, helping her write her books. Um, and then of course, implementing her treatment protocols and being able to have the opportunity to pick her brain in between cases and just ask her, Hey, you know, why this point, why this herb, what's yeah. going on with this case. So such a great opportunity. She was really, really tough, but, um, I learned so much. Everything that I know today is because of her. Wow. That's so cool. So how many people have you helped with infertility? And like, what is the range of cases that you see on a regular basis? Yeah, great question. So I have treated probably thousands of patients um, for fertility. And then from what I've calculated, and the, the calculation is so hard because you know, on this journey, I have so many people that want to come in for treatment, get pregnant, and they just want that journey of that part of their life to end. Um, and not because they don't like me, but I just respect the fact that, hey, they have their baby and they want to move on. So from what I understand, I've total calculation I've had, I've helped over 500 couples conceive, mm. um, but it's probably much more than that. I just haven't heard back from some people, honestly. Um, <laughs> yes. And the, yes. I respect that. Over I mean, just, 500 or 500 people is still a big number. Yeah. Cause every once in a while, since of course I've been practicing here for over a decade, um, I'll see a patient at a grocery store that I lost contact with along the way and they have like a four-year-old and I'm like, Oh, Oh, that always makes me feel good. Like, Oh, I didn't hear back from you, but you know, the universe is putting us back together. Um, Yeah. 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 That's cool. It's super cool. It always makes me smile. Um, but I would say I, I see a range of cases from, you know, women who don't have regular periods to women that, you know, come off the birth control pill and the cycle doesn't resume, um, PCOS is a big one that I see. Um, but a lot of my patients come in and they actually have like a diminished reserve. That's probably the most popular case. And most of the time that's just because, you know, in the Bay area, we just have so many successful powerhouse women Mm -hmm. and they wait to have kids. And, you know, I love helping that population of women because that's actually who I am too. Um, And it's exciting to see like a woman that's created her own business or her own empire, you know, have a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, I also do a lot of help with egg freezing. A lot of the tech companies are now offering their employees the option to freeze their eggs. So um, we do a lot of work with that, with just helping patients freeze as many as possible with the acupuncture. Um, Also thin lining for transfer. Um, 
that's a big one, helping build the lining Mm -hmm. so that the embryo can implant. Um, A lot of immune issues, um, immune issues that are affecting repeated loss of pregnancy. Um, So helping, of course, women that have had multiple miscarriages finally carry the term. Um, I also work with gestational carriers, too, and women that are using donor eggs to conceive. And also men. Men come in um, that have fertility issues. So That's really great. Yeah, it's hard to get the men in. Um, but every once in a while, I'll get a male patient that comes in before the female partner, and that makes me really excited. That's great. Yeah. I, I mean, from my own journey, I, I feel like for so long, it was, it, you know, the blame fell mostly on the female partner mm-hmm. that like, you know, you weren't getting pregnant. It's your fault. You know, what's wrong with you? And now I, I just love this resurgence of men taking more of an active role in the process as well. I do too. And I'm glad that it's becoming more widespread knowledge-wise that it is a two-part issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, the way that we've designed fertility studies and the way that the practice of reproductive medicine is currently conducted, it is a one-sided medicine where oftentimes, you know, I'll see a patient come in and they're doing, you know, the woman is doing IVS and she's doing all of these things to change her lifestyle and then lo and behold, they're just telling the man that, hey, we're just going to pick the best looking sperm. And then, you know, I talk to the male partner and he's not doing anything to change his lifestyle. He's drinking every night. He's smoking marijuana and sitting in the hot tub. Yeah. It's really, really, <laughs> it's so unfair and it's so infuriating. And I, you know, I constantly am like, oh, you really shouldn't do these because you're basically killing your sperm and only to have him come back and say, oh, but my doctor said it's okay. And most of the time it's a male doctor as well. So it's, it's frustrating. Well, and I think I've shared this with you before, you know, one of our favorites is Dr. Amy, who's Mm -hmm. in the Bay area and something that she has mentioned to me when I got a consult with her was that we tend to sugarcoat sperm results a little too much. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I agree with that completely. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I definitely feel a shift though in, I mean, just, just what I've witnessed in my own situation, my husband and I both are like on a supplement routine, which you have helped us, you know, create for ourselves. So I'm glad things are changing in the yes, right direction. It's, it's slow, but it, it's going to happen. And I think as, you know, if we think about in terms of the longevity of medicine, when we look at IVF and fertility treatments, they're all pretty new. Like it's only 30, 40 years old. Um, And I think as we get more data, and I notice this too, when I do a lot of IVF or acupuncture for IVF on site, um, there was one clinic that had this big like TV that was scrolling this PowerPoint presentation across of it. And they were basically asking the patients, please um, keep in touch with us and please tell us about the health of your baby throughout its life because we're tracking the data from the patients that are conceived via IVF to see, you know, what their health is like. 
And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And that probably has to stem from the fact that they want to see what happens to the children that are produced from the practice of selecting the best sperm instead of saying, hey, let's treat the male for subfertility and not just pick the best sperm, but actually have his overall sperm production improve. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, I didn't even think about that part of the puzzle. You know, it's always just this race to try to get pregnant and then, and deliver, you know, a live, a live and healthy baby. But then after that, you know, the experiment continues. Right. And so one of the things that I think that they're going to start specifically tracking is what is the fertility potential of the children that are conceived by selected sperm? And Mm. the practice of selecting the sperm, it's called ICSI, and then injecting it into the egg to increase fertilization results. Mm. Um, Because that will be an interesting study. Because, you know, when you talk a lot about Chinese medicine, and then, of course, Chinese medicine is really, really focused on epigenetics, If you are, you know, conceiving a child by, you know, selecting a sperm from a male that has subfertility, are you passing on male subfertility to your offspring? Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting over these, these next, what we want to say, like 10, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, so give us an overview of what types of treatment you do for people who are trying to conceive and how does it improve their chances? Yeah. So I like to say that I I practice what we call a whole systems TCM approach. So TCM being traditional Chinese medicine. Um, So acupuncture, of course, um, some Chinese herbal medicine, but also lifestyle and dietary recommendations, according to Chinese medicine. Um, we really, of course, acupuncture for fertility. We're focusing on proving, on improving blood flow to the pelvic area. And why that's important is that getting blood flow and oxygen to the ovaries and, of course, the testicles for sperm production helps improve egg quality, sperm quality. And that's kind of the root of acupuncture for fertility. Um, herbs can also be used in that realm too, also helping with improving quality of eggs and sperm, but, you know, lifestyle and diet is really, really important. Um, you know, especially in California, we have, you know, such an emphasis on, you know, smoothies, salad, this is the foundation of health. And actually I'm, I notice a lot that my patients that have that cold diet or it's smoothies and salad, it's just, they are depleted more so than my patients that are eating warm food. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always stressing, you know, warm food. We like warm food in Chinese medicine because it helps nourish the spleen and the spleen is responsible for making blood. And the idea is, is that if you help the body create as much blood flow as possible, you're, you know, facilitating more blood flow to your reproductive organs to increase fertility. Um, I just, that was something that blew my mind when I saw you the first time. Yeah. But it was so true because I was doing, I was doing smoothies. I was doing salads, you know, I was doing colder, I was doing yogurts. I was doing, you know, like cold, mm-hmm. my, my diet consisted most of, mostly of colder 
foods. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember I even came to you as well to talk about like, because I would like after I would have a smoothie, I'd get like almost colicky in the back of my throat. Mm. Like it just didn't, my body was not breaking it down very well. Mm -hmm. And and that was one of your suggestions that just really helped. Oh, awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, yeah, as soon as you start giving your body like what it, you know, the digestive organ system is a warm organ system. It needs warm foods to, of course, work as properly as it should. And people will always come in after I say, hey, you know, taper it down on the cold foods. And they're like, oh, I have so much more energy and my digestion is so much better. And, you know, that's exactly right. That's exactly what should happen when you start putting more warm foods into your diet. Yep. Yep. And I, um, I think the other thing that, um, you suggested to me was cut back on the caffeine as well. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about caffeine a little bit? Yeah. So there's some evidence that, you know, caffeine is what we call a stagnating, um, type of beverage, anything that has caffeine and what stagnation is it creates a blockage. Um, and what we're trying to do with the Chinese medicine for fertility is of course, create as much blood flow, energy flow to the entire body as possible. Something like caffeine kind of creates a traffic jam. Um, you'll also notice that beverages that contain caffeine, like coffee, um, are also what we call draining to the body's body's body fluids. Um, and for fertility, you want to have abundant body fluid as much as possible because body fluids are, of course, going to be um, the uterine lining. It's going to be the cervical mucus and, of course, um, semen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in terms of lifestyle, you know, um, speak a little bit about, cause we live in an urban atmosphere, you know, mm-hmm. like I have, you know, I like to social, I I'm a social drinker. I like mm-hmm. to go out and enjoy a couple drinks with friends on the weekend. Um, talk about the role of alcohol, um, when trying to conceive and working with somebody's digestive system, um, you know, who's coming to acupuncture. Yeah. So in Chinese medicine, alcohol is regarded as what we call a damp heat source. And why that's detrimental is, of course, we want to keep the body, um, I I don't want to say cool, but we don't want to overheat it. When you overheat the body, you dry the body fluids that I was talking about before. And then the other issue with a damp source is a damp source also creates stagnation in the body as well. And what alcohol can do is it can inhibit same thing as caffeine, just the free flow of energy, blood flow. It can be inhibitory to ovulation. Um, And not only that, it's just, I mean, you should get into the practice of what I always tell my patients is treat your body right now as if you were pregnant. Mm It's so true. It's so true. And then when, you know, when you get your positive pregnancy result, it won't be that much of a, um, adjustment. adjustment. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's great. So what type of data is out there about acupuncture and its positive results with pregnancy? 
Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that is hard about acupuncture is it's it's almost impossible to study effectively in something like a randomized control trial where you would have, you know, your control would be patients that aren't treated with acupuncture versus patients that are treated with acupuncture and what's the outcome. Why that's a problem is that acupuncture isn't, you know, you can't protocolize it and say, hey, we're going to do a study and every single patient is going to get these points. Why? is because everybody has a different constitution and you would never use the same points on every single patient that was trying to conceive. Like you are going to get different acupuncture points than another woman because you both have different, yeah, you both have different constitutions and a different set of points that is going to benefit you to conceive. Um, And when you say constitutions, you mean just like body makeup, like situation stuff that you, your case specifically. Mm -hmm, Exactly. That's, that's part of the tongue and pulse presentation that we're looking at. And of course, you know, the questions about how people sleep, how their digestion is, those things all pinpoint to what we call a constitutional type. Is someone too dry? Are they too hot? Um, Do they need to be warmed up? Things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why you can't just say, hey, we're going to give all of these patients in this study these specific points because what you could have in that category is a woman that's hot, dry, too cold, and you're not serving her in the best way. And you're not going to reflect acupuncture in the best light when you're doing that. Um, Mm. But there are a few studies when, you know, the main study that put acupuncture for fertility on the map was a German study that was done in 2002. It's probably still the most popular. I actually will get the most calls about it. Um, And essentially what it did is it compared women on the day of their embryo transfer and they took 50 women and those 50 women didn't get acupuncture and then the other 50 women got acupuncture before and after their embryo transfer and they actually found that the women that had the acupuncture before and after the transfer um, had a 16 percent higher clinical pregnancy rate Um, and so a lot of women will come in to me as a one-off where they'll be like hey can you do acupuncture before and after my embryo transfer I always say sure, um, but that's that's one of the the most popular studies for acupuncture and um, fertility. Mm-hmm. More mm-hmm. and more, you know, I'm seeing more and more studies come out, and I'm excited to see that my colleagues, acupuncturists, are designing them rather than an MD, um, because a lot of times I'll see you know a negative study about acupuncture. Oh, it doesn't work. Didn't improve clinical outcomes. But then it's like, you know, I look at the study and the points that they picked and I'm like, well, that's why it didn't work. You know, you didn't yeah. individualize this at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I feel like there's I've I've experienced mixed results about um or mixed responses from doctors telling me about acupuncturists, acupuncture. Mm. My OBGYN, she right out of the gate suggested it. She's like, Mm. have you tried that? You know, she, that was her first suggestion. Well, I love Um, her for that. (laughs) I know she's awesome. She's awesome. Um, Shout out to Dr. Nicosia at Kaiser. Um, She suggested that, but other people, you know, have just been indifferent about it. Mm. So 
Um, and I think it's because of it's because of the studies that are coming out about it. It's just impossible to study um, in the way that the current research model suggests. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're working on it as a profession. It's something that I have a really close colleague of mine who is a brilliant mind who this is what she's dedicating her life to. And she has more and more studies that are coming out. So I'm just, you know, hoping in time that, you know, things are designed around the way that we, you know, we're more, we're asked to collaborate on these studies instead of being like, hey, I'm a doctor. I decided that we're going to use these points because of Western medicine. That's how a lot of the points are chosen in um, acupuncture studies where they're like, oh, we picked this one because it's close to the uterus and it has an influence on the nerves of the uterus. Well, that's not what we do in Chinese medicine. I would never pick a point for someone and say, hey, this one is close to the, you know, the nerves and the arteries of your uterus. So it's going to improve these factors. So that's why we're not, that's, I think why there's a lot of like indifference to it is that, you know, it's just hard to study. It's hard to get good data. Makes sense. But that's one of the things that I love about acupuncture so much is the individualized treatment toward Mm -hmm. everybody, you Mm -hmm. know, like, um, you, you don't get that at a lot. I mean, a lot of the doctors, you know, that are out there, you're kind of just a protocol, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're Mm -hmm. just checking off a box and, you know, moving through the line. Mm-hmm. But with acupuncture, there it just feels more personal and individualized. Absolutely. I'm so glad to hear that. You know, I'm seeing some changes in that aspect. I do work with um, an IVF doctor in the South Bay that is becoming more and more integrative, where when you work with him, he says, you have to be alcohol-free, caffeine-free, sugar-free, dairy-free, gluten-free. And what he's noticing with that is that, of course, you're eliminating the inflammatory markers that are in a diet, um, but he's noticing improved sperm and egg quality in his patients when he makes them do that for X number of months. So there there are some changes happening. And even though that isn't an individualized um, protocol either, it's definitely taking into effect the lifestyle component that we talk about in Chinese medicine. Yep. Yep. Well, let's, um, let's kind of shift topics in, you know, under the same umbrella, but let's talk about the importance of herbal medicine when Mm -hmm. trying to get pregnant. What do you typically suggest? You know, I usually suggest and herbs for my patients that have had an issue with canceled cycles because their uterine lining was too thin. There are herbs that are fantastic for helping to build blood and increase the uterine lining. Um, my patients that have a very low reserve, I will push herbs on them. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, my patients that I would consider poor responders to IVF meds, where you know they've gotten, they've started a cycle, they've started the injections, and nothing is really happening. Um, those are great candidates for herbs. And then, of course, my patients that have had, you know, failed IVF cycles, I'll say, you know, you really would benefit from herbs. Um, And the reason why I say that is that herbs actually have been found in a lot of the studies on mice, that they improve what we call like the energy power of the egg, so the ATP. And why that's important is that when you take something like herbs and you're increasing the ATP of the eggs, you're actually helping the energy potential of the eggs 
for fertilization and viability of pregnancy. Wow. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. And actually, um, so this is not an approved therapy in the United States, but there are clinics in Mexico and Canada that are actually doing an IVF protocol where they're taking the mitochondria of young women's eggs and putting it into older women's eggs and improving IVF outcomes that way. Um, oh, wow. I know. It's kind of called, I think they call it three-parent IVF, um, which is why it's not legal here and it probably never will be. But um, it's interesting to me that, you know, that is a practice that is currently being used because in my mind, I'm like, why can't you just do something like herbs, put the patients on herbs for three to six months and mm-hmm. see what happens that way. But yeah. we'll, we'll see. That's a newer, um, a newer practice. And I don't think that there are a lot of children that have um, resulted yet from that practice. We'll see. I don't know. We'll have to ask somebody mm-hmm. that practices in Canada or Mexico. Mm-hmm. And when I, when you say herbs, like what comes to my mind is like oregano and thyme, yeah. you know, like what, um, can you get a little specific about the yeah. specific herbs? So when I say herbs, we're talking about Chinese herbs. So like oregano and thyme would, you know, they probably have a use in Western herbalism, which I'm not trained in. But when I say Chinese herbs, I'm talking about things like astragalus and mint and cassandria berries, um, different components. It's almost individualized like acupuncture or it is individualized like acupuncture where somebody is going to take a formula that's based on their constitution. So there are herbs that are meant to build blood, herbs that are meant to, of course, help with um, boosting what we call yang and qi, which would be similar to boosting progesterone from Western medicine perspective. Um, Herbs that are good for what we call boosting yin, which is like the cooling factor of the body. Um, Yin is really important for nourishing eggs for egg quality. And then, of course, helping with things like cervical mucus. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. And you also, um, there's herbal medicine and then there's vitamins and supplements. Mm Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about, because you really helped me and my husband with a vitamin supplement routine. You know, I don't think I ever heard about CoQ10 until I met you. Yeah. As well as the um, positive effects of um, D3. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, they found, you know, CoQ10 is an antioxidant. And I ask my male patients and my female fertility patients to take that. And why that's important is it's similar to what we're trying to do with the herbal medicine with um, increasing ATP, excuse me. We're trying to, of course, improve, you know, cellular quality of the eggs and the sperm to, of course, help with viability. Um, And there's there's so many studies on the importance of CoQ10 and the benefits that it has on fertility. Um, you'll actually, people listening to this will notice that it's a commonly prescribed supplement during, um, the IVF cycle. Um, and it's also in what we call, there's a clinic that we work with in the South Bay that has this cocktail that they call the poor responder cocktail and CoQ10 is actually in it. 
And they actually have studied their patients when, you know, they took a higher dose of antioxidant-rich supplements and how they responded after a failed cycle. And they found that the results were really promising. Those supplements did have a positive effect on their outcomes going forward. Um, and, And then with vitamin D3, you know, so often I'll get a patient that comes in who has just had a miscarriage and they're perfectly healthy. I actually, the best example of this is I had a, a woman that was actually, she's just further ahead in life at a young age, already married at 22, had, has a great husband and they were ready to have kids at 24, um, own their own business. I'm so impressed by them, but they were shocked. We got pregnant easily, um, both young and healthy, but then miscarried, um, seven weeks. And when she came in and I had read her chart before she came in, I was like, you know what? I bet you that her vitamin D is low and that's why she miscarried. And Mm. sure enough, her vitamin D was nine. Um, and so of course nine is low, really low is so low. So I want, I recommend my patients to be at 50. Um, Mm. and they've actually found with research that pregnancy outcomes are improved when a woman has at least 30. So a level of 30. So what we did is we just put her on, um, you know, a large dose of vitamin D for a month. I said, do not try under any circumstances until your vitamin D is at least 50. So we got it up to 50, tried again, and sure enough, pregnant, had a baby last year. Wow. That is so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Do you have any other really cool stories like that, like that you can, cause I just, I love hearing, you know, these, um, these really like hard cases and yeah. having like good endings. Yeah. Like, give us one of your best cases. Oh, one of my best cases. And oddly enough, her kids now play soccer with one of my really good friends from oh. high school which just warmed my heart. I saw that pop up on Facebook and I was like, oh my gosh, that's one of my toughest cases. Um, It was a woman that had just gotten married and she just was having some weird symptoms on her tongue. And lo and behold, she was diagnosed with oral cancer and it was a pretty aggressive one and a rare one. So they, of course, immediately, you know, took out part of her tongue or they actually removed the entire tongue and reconstructed like a tongue like portion. So she can actually talk and articulate from um, her wrist. It was really, really interesting. But anyway, she had, she jumped in and she actually froze embryos with her husband before she started the chemotherapy. Um, And so she had those on ice, but she was like, you know, I would really like to do this naturally you know, after she was in Mm. remission. Mm. Um, And she's like, I really just would like to not use the frozen embryos if possible. And so that was a tough case because we were, of course, trying to regulate her cycle, you know, post-chemotherapy, trying to, of course, improve egg quality after doing something, you know, as tough as that. And she actually has, she has two kids now. Wow. And she didn't use the embryos, so I don't know what she did with those. But wow. that, was, that was such a feel-good story. I was like, ah, oh, look at this woman who, you know, warrior, has been through cancer, had yeah. two kids with, you know, Chinese medicine. So That's so great. Yeah. And, I, you know, I have a couple of cases, too, where it's like 
you know, once upon a time, IVF keeps changing, but when I first started practicing, I would routinely get patients that would not qualify as a candidate for IVF because they only had one follicle left. And so I had a woman like that, only one follicle left, and she has a baby. Wow. Yeah. So Chinese wow. medicine is amazing. It's amazing. Wow. And what, I mean, as we wrap up here, what suggestions do you have for people who are, you know, thinking about trying Chinese medicine um, for infertility? Yeah, I would say first, it's important to just do your research. Not all acupuncturists are trained in, you know, the reproductive medicine um, component. So definitely ask. One of the best ways you can filter out is making sure that you're going to a practitioner that um, is ABORM certified. So they're a fellow of the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine. That should be one of your criterias. Um, I often will have patients that will come in and I'm their second or third acupuncturist and they have not gotten pregnant. And lo and behold, when I ask who they have seen before, it was somebody that was you know, a specialist that was an orthopedist or somebody that did another specialty. And they really, really should have done their research and just started with somebody that had reproductive training first. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, you know, start early. You don't have to be in the middle of IVF or, you know, just already having a failed cycle of IVF before coming to acupuncture. You know, acupuncture works best when people prepare the body for pregnancy. And so I usually say, you know, three to six months of acupuncture, if possible, before you start trying to conceive is usually best. Mm -hmm. And if people wanted to um, find you, how would they do that? Yeah. So um, people can visit my website. It's um, citypulseacupuncture.com. Or, you know, Instagram is a great one. I have City Pulse Acupuncture is my Instagram. And feel free to, like, send me a message or send me a message to the website. I always am here to answer questions. I love talking about Chinese medicine and, of course, um, helping people figure out what would be best for them on their fertility journey. Uh, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you. I love talking to you. Oh, you're the best. All right. We will, um, I'm sure I will see you soon. I hope so too. I hope, <laughs> I hope that, you know, we can all see each other again. I miss hugs. Yes. I miss <laughs> yes. the little things at this point. Exactly. Exactly. All right. We'll take care and we'll you talk too. to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week.